Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me with freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering Podcast between New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. Your host, Mike Phillips. Got a good one for you today. For the first time since the very early days of this podcast, back in 2018, we are going to be talking some soccer here as the World Cup is here in November, thanks to the brilliant decision by FIFA to schedule a tournament held in the summer in Qatar. We're going to be joined by our soccer guy, Martino Fuccio. We're going to Break down the World Cup, a big conversation about all you need to know, hanging the tournament, how the U.S. do, can France repeat, we'll break the groups down, talk about that with Martino in just a bit. Let's do our Week 11 NFL picks here, we're going to be joined by Troy Moriello, we're going to talk about his Cowboys, a lot of fun stuff there for the Cowboys, I mean, they lost a thriller at Green Bay, they have the game of the week this week against Minnesota, we'll talk with Troy in just a bit. Let's make sure you're locking this end of the show for these two minutes, we're going to talk about the FIFA show on Netflix, Captain's. It's an eight-part docu-series about teams trying to qualify for the World Cup. I'll break down my general thoughts on it at the end of the show. If you like what you hear on the Justin Suffering Podcast, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering, your favorite podcast platforms. You can find all episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and starring as well. That'll make the podcast even better going forward. So check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Viewers of the conversations with Martino and Troy up on the YouTube channel. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, let's get to our opening tip. We have some general thoughts on the World Cup here. Set to kick off on Sunday. That's coming up right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. Opening tip time here, talking the World Cup and the World Cup, I mentioned earlier, being held in November into December for the first time ever. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this tournament is received here in the USA. First of all, having the U.S. back in the tournament is going to help. They did not qualify in 2018 in Russia, so they are back in the first line since 2014 when they were in Brazil. They got to the knockout round, lost to Belgium extra time. They got to have a tough group there. They have a group with Germany, Portugal, and Ghana. They managed to get out of it, so good for the U.S. there. A much younger U.S. team than the one we just saw. In in uh, Brazil, only DeAndre Yedlin left has World Cup experience on this group, so a big turn for them. A lot of experience here, a lot of young players. Be a fun group here, and a lot of the guys are going to gain experience ahead of the 2026 World Cup, which is going to be here along with Canada and Mexico as part of the triple uh, host bid here. They won back in the summer time frame. So watch the U.S. here; be a lot of fun. In terms of the viewing, I don't think it's interesting to see how this does in the ratings because. In the summer, there's not really much competition going on when the World Cup usually kicks off. Maybe you have the NBA Finals floating around, maybe, but that point is usually done. It's just baseball in the World Cup, and the World Cup does tremendous ratings in America. Here, though, you have a lot of competition in this part of the calendar, sports-wise. You got the NFL, which is in its stretch run starting to, so that's going to be important here. College football coming down the stretch, a lot of conference championship games coming up here. College basketball has started up here. I know it doesn't do a lot, but some people might siphon off of that. NBA, NHL regular season also going on here. Of all those things, the American football, both college and pro, are the biggest threat to the ratings here. But Fox should still do pretty well because this is a significant audience of people out there who are soccer fanatics, who put soccer above all these other sports. So they're going to do pretty well. The big game here is going to be coming up on Black Friday. And you're going to see a lot of other soccer powerhouses here, too. I mean, pretty much everybody aside from Italy, who did not qualify this year, all the big guys made it. France, your defending champion. England, who's in the U.S.'s group for the first time since 2010, that fun group back in South Africa. Spain, Brazil, Argentina, Portugal, Germany, etc. They're all there. The star powers will be a lot of fun to see. The U.S. group here, and sequence of games, here's what you need to know. They kick off on Monday against Wales. Interesting spot there. Wales won a UEFA, a European playoff to get in here. Gareth Barry, star striker, could be a problem for the U.S. Get winnable game, though. That's on Monday. Then they have the big one on Friday. 
Black Friday, 2 o'clock against England. Everybody's going to be off of work. That game is going to get the biggest number TV-wise in the entire tournament. It's going to be a lot of fun, and the U.S.-England games are always entertaining, so it'll be fun to see this one here. Last game of the group stage, Iran, and play political intrigue, obviously, around this game because these two countries do not get along. And it also will be interesting here because this is obviously the game that could determine whether or not the U.S. gets out of the group stage. And I know people are saying, oh, you know, Iran's the weakest team in this group. They're still very dangerous. This is a game the U.S. cannot take for granted here. We will get more into the World Cup in a second. We joined in just today by Martino Puccio right after this call of one of Kylian Mbappe's goals in the last World Cup, courtesy of FIFA. Pogba steals the ball off Guerrero. Here's Giroud. A deflection and Mbappe gives France the lead. The youngest ever goal scorer at a World Cup for France. 19-year-old Kylian Mbappe. All right, we are back here getting ready for the World Cup starting next week here. And join me today to break it all down. The One of the big soccer guys for 1.37 p.m. You see all of his soccer coverage on Twitter. Martino Puccio is back. Martino, how are you? Good, Mike. Good. Um, yeah, just a couple weeks out of, of the tournament on the 20th. It's super weird. Not used to this kind of weather this time of year. Um, so... I mean, it's 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 weird kind of getting hyped up for it. Just I, I know part of it is because Italy's not in it again, but but at the same time, it's still the world's biggest tournament uh every four years, and so much so that people in America get interested that don't know a thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the last time we did soccer on this podcast, I think you were on, it was episode five. That's how that's how long ago this was back in 2018. Wow. Was that my first appearance? Yep. I mean, it would yep. have to be. Yep, it was. That's I love that. You know that. Um, <laughs> yeah, the 2018 one. Um, damn, that feels like yesterday. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I think this one will be a better tournament, but it's really um, just there's so many things that we're obviously going to talk about that I'm interested in. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we got to start with the obvious one here, because obviously throughout the history of this tournament, it's been a summer tournament, usually in somewhere between June and August, usually June, July in the window here, because the Geniuses at FIFA decided to award this to Qatar. They realized we can't play at 110 degree heat in the middle of the summer. So we have to do this in the winter here. So how will the change from the summer to the winter impact the tournament? I mean, the the, uh, Northern Hemisphere winter. Well, I I think it's interesting for quite a few reasons. I think South American countries, maybe they have an advantage at this point. Um, I I think it's, it's great to see the contrast because South American countries uh, obviously have different winter than what we deal with over here, even though the season's actually in the same, they do the calendar year. Uh, whereas European football, you know, it's from August all the way to May. So what we have grown to know is that the world cup is having clubs and players at the end of their season in Europe play right after that. Whereas, you know, maybe there's some other countries that we could talk about that, that are kind of like Uruguay, for example, a lot of their players obviously play in Europe, but how do other players that don't play you know, in, in the Southern hemisphere, how do, how do they handle all this stuff? Right. Like that to me is so fascinating. There's been so many games as well. Like everyone's just thinking like, yes, 2022 world cup, the difference is summer and winter. Well, the actual real differences before the other world cups is this, we were, we were dealing with COVID COVID was a very serious things in ter- in terms of minutes that you'll even see it in the NBA too, right? Like how they crammed in these seasons to, to get back the money for these leagues because they were suffering so much financially. And that's what's happening in, in uh, European football. You saw some leagues came back. France was one that didn't at the time because their winner was over with, with PSG, but you had so many other teams throughout these countries Um you know, have these matches start up really quick again. Yeah. Did they have a break from March or right around like March 11th, uh, which is my birthday, by the way, I just remember because the NBA shut down that day with Rudy Gobert. So like it was, everything was pretty much shut down from then. And it went all the way till, you know, basically late June in some places, Bundesliga started earlier, but it's been nonstop soccer slash football since then. And then on top of it, all that was condensed and crammed into there where we had a full summer this year, yes, but the difference is this. The first half schedule from where we were playing at the beginning of August, league started earlier in that August time frame, and they crammed in a bunch of games 
all up to today. Today was the final Champions League group stage matches, right? Whereas if we go into the Champions League in a normal year, that goes all the way to December. And then there's a ton of other league matches crammed in as well. There's at least three for multiple other teams, uh, two to three. So you're talking about all of that football. We've seen players already miss the tournament because of these injuries, right? Because they're cramming their bodies into it. Like France was the repeat winner. They don't have Pogba or Nogolo Conte. And then Matuidi retired. So their entire starting midfield that they thought they would have is now gone. They have some of the best depth, so they'll be okay. But that kind of sums up what we're going to have to deal with. And truth be told, we don't know. There's still players picking up injuries to this very minute. And, you know, that impacts a lot of teams because what have been a two-week injury is like, okay, we had a two-week break, but now we need to figure out all this other stuff. Like, how soon can you be back? Do you miss the group stage? Is your absence during the group stage that vital to us making it to the knockout stages? And then anything happens in the knockout stage, right? It's one leg. 90 minutes, anything can happen. Obviously, there's extra time penalties. But that's but that's the truth of it all because certain countries with good players are going to suffer with that. And if that happens, they're not going to be able to survive it like France is. And to me, that's what makes everything such a wild card um, in, in this event. So I know that was incredibly long-winded, <laughs> but, that, but that is like where we're at with that. So I hope that explained a lot. Yeah, definitely picked up a lot of useful information there. And I think, obviously, since this is a American-based podcast here, let's start with Team USA. Obviously, they're back in the World Cup for the first time since 2014. They qualify back in March, the third seed, uh, third place in the CONCACAF draw. So now they're... Got grouped in group look like uh grouped in the group B and the draw here. So mm-hmm. how does this squad look in comparison to some of the more recent teams we've had? Well, this is the youngest one that we've had. Um experience is there. A lot of these kids have gone and won the Nations League, which is kind of like a second rate tournament. But at the same time, they also won the Gold Cup, which is the equivalent of our Euro. Um, it happens all the time. So it's not it's not the craziest of victories, but they have one and they're very young. So that's something that's very important, in my opinion. We have more players now on the U.S. men's national team squad that have played in Champions League matches. So the amount of players that have played or appeared in a Champions League match is higher than any number that the U.S. has ever had, which just for example is we're having guys play at the highest of levels and they're playing on pretty good teams. So that's great to see. There's still a bunch of injury question marks. Certain players like Christian Pulisic haven't been that great in recent months. He's been struggling, but when they play together as at the national team, that third place seemed a little worrying for some. Greg Berhalter is a controversial figure because a lot of people thought that he got the job based off of nepotism. And when his brother was on the board of Team USA, there's so many factors into this that you don't know what you're going to get. There's quality, there's talent. I think that whatever happens in the 90 minutes, we're going to find out about them because we truly don't know at this level. Like you mentioned, we're talking about eight years ago now. A lot of those players, if any, are gone at this point. And this is a new era for Team USA. I think it's a great precursor for what is going to happen when we host the tournament in 2026. Do I think we're going to be that great? That's it. That's it. We'll do that in another four years and we'll talk about this episode. But... um. I think guys like Eunice Musa, who is such a top young talent that I that I love, like it's going to be X Factor guys like that. We're talking about teenagers, early 20s that are playing in big clubs in Europe. How do they respond to this pressure? Um, and again, this group isn't as easy as some would think, but it's definitely uh, one that they could get out of. It's not ridiculous. If you think we have problems, I mean, English fans will tell you all the drama going on with them. I ran... There's rumors that they're not going to be in the tournament and the Ukraine is going to replace them. I don't believe in that. Um, And then there's obviously Wales with Gareth Bale, um, Aaron Ramsey, Daniel James. They've been in these tournaments. They made a pretty decent run in the Euros a few years back, but um, anything goes in the 90 minutes, you know? So uh, I I, I like their chances to get out. I don't think they win the group, though, under most circumstances. I'd be kind of surprised by that. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk about the group here. Like they're in Group B, so they're yeah. playing pretty. Their first match is actually on uh, November twenty first here. So they have in, in their group England is the was the top team was the top, top team in the pot. Yeah, they have Iran was the age like the AFC uh, 
third round Group A winners. They're in here as well. And Wales won an intercontinental playoff to get in here. So in terms of this group, I mean, I've seen some people saying online, oh, this is kind of group of death-ish because I know you said there may not be an actual group of death in this tournament. But what do you think about like this group as a whole? Um, I don't think group of death is excessive. I think that was so could have been a biased comment. I'm not yeah. sure. I think I think this group has the ability to be dramatic, incredibly dramatic in terms of the top quality. I don't think so. England has so many question marks. It's not completely out of the question. We draw England. Anyone thinking otherwise, like there is friction there, in my opinion. I think there always is for the American side of things. English always scoff at us. But again, in 2010, they love their chances. They love their team, um, even though they had friction. Again, these are different English sides. They made the Euro final. They lost to Italy. They made it to a semifinal in 2018. Their paths were arguably very easy relative to the amount of competition. But again, you play who you face. That's why you do qualifiers and all that. Iran is very tough defensively. And the issue with Wales is just Gareth Bale being a one-time thing, bang, bang, you're dead. Because this is one of the greatest impact players that has ever played the game. So he's made his impact on some of the biggest matches. He came over here to America, to LAFC. He's a bench player. He's not playing as much as some people would have thought. But I respect players like that. That could, you know, there's players always in this tournament that it's why it's so funny when casuals pick it up, that play out of their mind that they never play like, you know, it's a different aura. There's that different body. You know, Cinderella's happened in the champion, uh, not in the Champions League, sorry, in March Madness, right? And and you can see it happen with this. As far as U.S. goes, everything depends on the number nine, the striker. Seriously does. The number nine and the center backs. Our goalkeepers are fine. I really do love Turner. If they decide to go with him, I have no issues with that. Their fullbacks are are pretty talented. Serginho Des for Team USA level is good. I I don't think he's the greatest defender in the world. Anthony Robinson, um, whose dad is from White Plains, by the way. So fun fact with that, um, that's not too far from us. Um, you know, he's talented as well, but it, I, you could argue they have the worst center back pairing in the group. I think that's certainly possible. And they could also arguably have the worst striker in the group. It's... Can you score goals? Obviously, because um, you could defend to not lose, but if you don't score, you don't win, and that's as much of a yogiism I could give you today. Because that's really the million-dollar question: Who scores the goals for Team USA? And if it's Gio Reyna, if it's Pulisic, um, or if it's even Josh Sargent that gets a chance, or Ricardo Pepe, another player. There's just so many like options, and you don't know what's going to happen. And there were ups and downs during qualifiers. But all that matters is you turn up for those three games in that group stage. And if you do, then you'll be remembered for a very long time. So I, I think there's a huge mental aspect to it. And we'll see what they're made of. You never know with these teams, right? Yeah, you never know. And I think the sequencing of the games, people don't talk about how important this is here. So here's the U.S. sequence right now. They start off They start off the group, remember, 21st. These are all 2 o'clock Eastern starts here. They, they play Wales first. Then they have the big one, which is, the England game on Black Friday, 2 o'clock. It's going to probably be like the bit, most highly rated game Fox has in the entire tournament, in my opinion. And then they yeah. wrap it up on the 29th against Iran. So does the sequence do the U.S. any favors here, the way these games are ordered? Um, no, I don't know. I don't, th- I, don't think it, I don't think it matters, to be honest with you, because you just everybody's playing the same schedule. It's just, it, like, yeah, it's a different order, but you know what? Everyone's got these, like, you know, quarrels and qualms that you have to overcome in these group stages. Like we talk about it with the Jets all the time. Everyone wants to rag on the Jets for winning games against backup quarterbacks. Well, you know what? We we had a guy that looked like a backup quarterback against New England. We had actual backup quarterbacks and, you know, like everyone has their issues. Like it's not, it's never just a one-sided thing. Um, but no, I don't, uh, I, I do think though, by far for me and probably will would agree with this. Someone who watches like all the time, Having the game against England the day after Thanksgiving um, on Black Friday is just unbelievable. That's so electric. That's so that's like so funny. It's like the one that like you could have a PSA about that, telling people not to go out on Black Friday, stay in and watch football. Like football could save lives of people who trample (laughs) trample over other people. You know, like this could this is how we have to angle it. Um, And and yeah, I'm. That's the coolest. That's just the cool one. I, I don't think anything else matters, though. I just think it's really cool. That's just a side point. Yeah, it is very fun here. So, obviously, before we get into some of the groups here, obviously, 
We are defending Trant, uh, France here. You mentioned at the top they have some injury issues here. Like, what do you think the chances are to, like, repeat? We haven't had a repeat champion in this in a long time. Yeah, there hasn't been a repeat since Brazil with Pele. Uh, man, listen, I'll tell you what. They have, like I was mentioning earlier, they have the amount of depth that if you were to field their second team, you could argue they could win the World Cup. That's how serious it is. Um, there are certain positions that they didn't have players in. Um, last time around, Kareem Benzema was the Ballon d'Or winner. They rely on him to be the striker. There was a lot of issues with Deschamps. Um, they had Olivier Giroud. So that upgrade is incredible alone. Um, Chouameni and Kamavinga play for Real Madrid, which is the biggest team in the world um, for club football. And they just won the champions. And Kamavinga was, uh, played a part in that. He's replacing Pogba, who has not been good in years, wasn't really much of a factor um, for Manchester United and hasn't been a factor for Juventus. Agolo Conte is going to be a massive one, but they've kind of dealt with him on the decline the past couple of years. So the talent is still there. They still have Antoine Griezmann, Kylian Mbappe, arguably best player of the world, argument over the, over the long haul. Teo Hernandez was their left back. He wasn't with them in these past couple of tournaments. He's unbelievable. He's arguably the best left back in the world. So they have improved in other areas. Saliba is another one who's arguably the, been the best center back in the world this year too. <clears throat> and he's come out of nowhere. It's, it's truly unbelievable what France has, but they've had letdowns. That letdown in the Euro um, the, the, this past uh, summer, even though it was in Euro 2021. Um, they were disappointing. Going out against Switzerland was the biggest, one of the bigger knockout round upsets that you'll see in a very long time for a side that is completely loaded. So you wonder if that comes into question. They did win the Nations League, which is, again, like I said, a second or third rate tournament. But at the same time, that's something you have to hang your hat on, that they still can turn it up. But for me, I think I think those losses in the midfield, it's certainly a regression. I it, It's just the X factor of how how much of a load is Chuameni and Kamavinga going to be able to handle in this and will they step up? My answer to that question is yes, but it's not going to be enough to win the World Cup. I think they can make a deep run with it. There's just so many other teams in this competition that can give them a run for their money. I think this is more open than it was in 2018 when I thought it was one of the weaker World Cups. They were clearly head and shoulders above everyone else. I don't think that's going to be the case this time. So I'm I'm a little off on France. So yeah. All right, let's go. Let's go around the other groups here real quick. A quick, quick summary on all these groups. We did Group <clears throat> B already in detail with the U.S. side. So we'll go to Group A, which is the sure. host, the host Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal, Netherlands. Give me the quick lay of the land of them. Uh, I think I love the Netherlands the best. Uh, Memphis Depay is still very good. Having Van Gaal back, Van Hall back in there. He was there in. Uh, 2014, I believe it was in Brazil. He did a really good job. I have them and Senegal. They have Sadio Mane, one of the best players in the world. Ecuador, Qatar, thanks for coming out, I guess. Um, <laughs> I mean, Ecuador has some talent. They could get a result in this. Qatar, I mean, listen, host nations, they're going to struggle. I think we're going to see something eerily reminiscent of what happened with South Africa. The quality is just not there uh, overall. Absolutely. Let's go to Group C here, which I think – on its surface, I think it has some interesting mm. stuff in here because of Argentina, yes. Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. This group is like stealthily good. This, I, I think there's a lot of individual quality within this Argentina head and shoulders above everyone else. They're one of the favorites in this. I do think they win this group. As far as everyone else, I think it's up for grabs. Uh, Poland, are they going to be able to service Lewandowski? They have a, a bunch of like solid players. They have experience. They were disappointing in the Euro. I'm not sure if they turn that around. Mexico, really really poor in a long time uh, for the first time in a long time that i've been down on mexico but maybe they turn it up a little bit despite being their worst in a while they finished second in the qualifying group uh in Concacaf, obviously ahead of the u.s they still have that ability to turn it up when they need to but i don't think they have the quality it's a real big drop off i think argentina and poland advance out of it Absolutely. A group D is where we have a defending champion, Francis mm. here, Australia, Denmark, and Tunisia. What are your thoughts on this group? Uh, wow. This is such a, this is a sneaky good group. Denmark. I love them again, making it to the semifinal without Christian Eriksen. When he had that scary uh, cardiac arrest issue on the pitch, he's going to be able to play. 
I think he's able to make an impact on this. And Denmark's only better, man. To be honest with you, like the amount of quality they have within their side, they're just full-on professionals. It's not so far-fetched if France struggles that Denmark can win the group, but I have them and France advancing. France, just too much quality. Tunisia, really quality, sneaky, good side. Maybe they maybe they cause some chaos. They could get a result, a draw. Australia, I always respect, but they came through on penalty kicks. It's, it's really just not a side that I see doing too much damage. But again, it's just the World Cup. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, you never do. And Group E, I think this one, I, I'm apart from Group E, I think this one's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, you got Spain, Costa Rica, Germany, <laughs> mm-hmm. and Japan. And we all, we all know the big boys are Spain and Germany. And Japan, like people sleep on, Japan always seems to play well in this tournament. Japan plays well in the tournament often. I, I do think they're starting, you know, a wave of a new generation. I think it's going to hurt them. Spain was so, so good. I think this is the interesting one where we see the do the minutes affect the younger players like a Pedri, who's one of the best young players in the world. Like Mike, like if you if you were to watch a singular player out of this entire group, I dare you to watch Pedri or whoever else is a casual. This is the guy you have to watch. Uh, he's he won the Golden Ball Award last year, which is basically the Rookie of the Year. But it's the best young player in the world, and you know it's just it's just a bigger honor in general um, for that. And and he's just making a big impact at Barcelona, Germany. I think as a unit, as a team, they have everything that they need to win this tournament. Are they able to get over their humps that they've had and issues that they've had? You know, inconsistencies from certain players that are super talented, like Leroy Sané. Kai Havertz, who plays at Chelsea. I, I do think that they're able to get out of it. They're not going to have Tony Cruz, by the way, who's obviously a big deal, one of the best midfielders ever. I do have them. Costa Rica, really don't like them that much at all this tournament. I think they just snuck in because CONCACAF is, well, it's CONCACAF. Um, I think at Japan, third, maybe sneaking in second if Spain uh, slips up. They have some goal-scoring issues as well, so yeah. All right, Group F. Now we got some. We got, this is, I think, an, uh feel like a weird one here because you got Belgium <laughs> as the top European side in this group. You got yeah. got Canada who made the World Cup the first time since '86, so they had a really big run through Concacaf. Morocco mm-hmm. and Croatia. What do you think about Group F? I think I think that it's so fascinating. This is low key the group of death. It's not the group of death. I think this is uh, the low key strongest group outside of who I think group of death is. Belgium. <sighs> They're always the side that is eerily similar to the Clippers. Everyone talks about this is their time. We have all this talent. We're able to push. This is finally going to be our time. You know, Belgium always talks up their golden generation, Eden Hazard, Romelu Lukaku, Kevin De Bruyne. They never won anything. They never made it to a final. They they get deep. They, They show some quality, but they always lose. Similar to the Clippers, never been to an NBA finals always falling up short, even if they have all the talent to win it all. I'm always off on them. And again, Croatia made it to the World Cup final. They have one of the greatest midfielders of all time in Modric. They still have quality. I think they're improved. They can make a push. I think I think they're at risk to fall out of this. And Canada, the best Canada team that has ever existed. Jonathan David, Alfonso Davies, oh my God. Their two best players are better than Team USA's players. Straight up. Straight up on it as a team talent wise, you could argue between the two Tejon Buchanan, another player for Canada, Canada really has a chance to get out and finish second and not, and really not that far fetched given the injuries with Belgium, with Lukaku and Hazard, not far fetched. If you're better that they could win the group that it's not, it's not the most absurd thing. I'm telling you that's a sneaky future play. If you really wanted to look at something. Yeah, and I know we talked before about 2026 being obviously the U.S. hosting the World Cup, but Canada's in there yeah. too with Mexico, so this is a good this will be a good launching pad for them. Oh, absolutely for for I think Canada and U.S. Mexico, I think they have a lot of stuff to figure out to be honest. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Here, let's get to uh, Group A, Group G. Excuse me. Here, the next one here: Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon. Okay, can I just say my group of death now? Because yep. this is this is I mean there was only like two options, but this is it. <laughs> um, Brazil, the favorite besides Argentina to win this tournament, in my opinion, and also the bookies agree with that they are the the betting favorite. I forget when the last time the betting favorite won it. Um, it could have been Brazil in '94. Don't remember. Um, but they, but we haven't seen one. Italy was not the favorite. Spain, I think, was the favorite in 2010. Now that I think about it, uh, but again, I was like 15. I was not betting it. Um, so uh, FBI, if you're listening. 
Um, again, Serbia, unbelievable talent. They topped Portugal's group in in the World Cup qualifying. That's why Portugal had to go to the knock uh, to knockout stages for the playoffs. Switzerland obviously knocked out France. Unbelievable. What can you say about them? They always do do well. Cameroon, one of the better African sides, obviously. Um, again, they're young. They're talented. It's really just something that they have the quality within their squad to beat any of these teams on any day of the week. That's what makes it so dangerous. That's why it's the group of death. For me, Brazil wins the group. They're so good. Having Neymar not be outside as a winger and he just focuses on creating offensively is so dangerous. And it's why they could win their sixth world cup. We'll see what happens with them. But I like they're they're absolutely unbelievable. Serbia, Dusan Vlahovic, Sergei Milinkovic, Savic. I think they have all the quality that uh, they're put it this way. They're everybody's favorite dark horse, Serbia, that I talk to that people that bet on this tournament. So Serbia is the dark horse. I definitely think they can play second. I think they will. As far as winning, the only chance they have of that is if they beat Brazil. That's the only chance. Yeah. It's also ironic because I I was looking up some, doing some research while you were into this group here that, I, people forget about this. That Brazil, Serbia, and Switzerland are also in the all in the same group with the last World Cup too. When Brazil and Switzerland got out there, yeah, I mean, it's just it's 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 pretty insane, right? Like yeah. that's that's what that's why it's the craziest tournament in the world. I, I now now I'm getting hyped up. I wasn't that hyped up at the beginning of the pod, like I was saying, because we're still 19 days out. But now you got me hyped up again. Yeah, absolutely. Our last group here: Group H, Portugal, American Nemesis, Ghana. Uruguay and South Korea. What do you think about this group? Bizarre. This is like if Area 51 was a group. So <laughs> it's it's honestly it's, it's so it's so weird. Portugal on paper has all the talent in the world to win this tournament and I don't know if they're even going to like if you told me Portugal didn't make it out of the group I'd be like not surprised. Not surprised because they have the most stubborn manager in the entire tournament. Cristiano Ronaldo is in his lowest moment right now as a professional. Um, I, I've never seen anything like this because he is the greatest, like, well, not that, okay, he's not the greatest. I will say he is the most famous athlete that has ever existed. And, the, and there's a lot of responsibility and pressure with that on top of him being one of the greatest players and athletes of all time. Um, it's his lowest moment. Does he show up? I am willing to bet that he does. Regardless if they play well or not, I think Cristiano Ronaldo is going to have a good World Cup because I don't believe in betting against players like that in the biggest moments on the biggest stage. I, I can't do it. Um, and Rafael Leal plays for them. He plays for my team. So he's amazing. So that's why. Um, but but seriously, it, it, it depends if Fernando Santos wants to stop effing around and be serious and play his best players possible. Um, so, yeah, that's what that comes down to. Ghana, again coming in in the knockout stages uh, of, of the playoff rounds, excuse me, out of AFCON. They have the ability to advance out of this group. Uruguay, listen, Cavani, Suarez, they're on the back end of their career. They're one of the greatest duos that I could ever remember as a striker partnership, one of the great all-time striking partnerships um, those two have internationally. Uh do they have enough left in the tank? There's some still pretty good players that play for Uruguay. I think they advance out of this. They're probably going to be second. South Korea, we'll see the injury. This is what I was talking about with Sun in the Champions League. I haven't gotten any updates on it yet, so, you know, whatever. Assume me if, if I uh, got this wrong. But if Sun's not going to be there now, there could be that potential of him not in the group stage. This is one of those players. That's one of those impacts. They don't get out of the group if they don't have Sun. If Sun is hurt and he's out, Korea's done. I would be stunned. I would be floored. That would be the biggest upset out of any team advancing to the knockout stages is South Korea without Sun. So there you have that. Yeah, I did. I was looking up also. I went on DraftKings, look at some of the group betting odds here. And I know your fate, your sleeper bet of Canada getting getting out of Group F. They are plus one thousand on DraftKings, not even Morocco. So that would be a hell of a value play. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, it's. It's all about value. I'm all about betting value. That's why that you and I always talk about that. That's how I bet futures. I think or like decent plus money values, like just something that's not out of this world, but the odds are decent. That's just the way I look at it. I'm a simpleton. I do it black and white and it benefits you in the long run because it's so easy to overthink this shit. 
Oh, no, no doubt about it here. And obviously, you're for a lot of American like, fans who are going to be just tuning into this because they don't mm-hmm. totally watch international soccer here apart from the World Cup and then just, mm-hmm. you know, just come come in for four, every four years and disappear again. Like, who are some players that should be keeping an eye on? Uh, well, just Team USA players or o- overall, like who are the overall? Players? Yeah. Overall, I would say Gio Reyna for sure for Team USA. So just like the American players, Gio Reyna and Yunus Musa. Um, midfielder and Gio Reyna is an attacking midfielder, similar to what Messi uh, plays. Um, obviously, Messi and Ronaldo, that goes without saying. Neymar is one of them. But some of the newer, younger generation, if you don't know some of these guys, which is it's, it's so crazy to me, like saying it out. Like, I, I don't talk to people who don't know these guys, to be honest with you. But Vinicius Jr., he's one of the best young players in the world in general. If you don't know who he is, he plays for Real Madrid. He scored the game-winning goal in the Champions League final um this past may and then again on top of it he he starts for brazil he's like the next neymar of the generation for brazil he's absolutely unbelievable i would definitely 100 watch rafael leal he's also another winger um he plays for portugal i think he's going to be helping them a lot in terms of creation in this tournament um man pedri another one like i was mentioning to you i already boasted about him so i'll just re-mention him again uh william saliba he's a defensive center back for France, if he gets the start, look out for that dude. He's unbelievable. Um, and then, I don't know, Senegal, I will say this. I love Koulibaly, center back for Chelsea. I think he deserves a ton of respect. I don't think he gets that much because of where he played in his club career and where he plays internationally. But they won the AFCON. Kalido Koulibaly is one of the best defenders of the past 15 years. And I think if you wanted to eye watch and watch a player – that's someone that you should 100% look at. Like, that's that's a guy that you just have to tip your cap to and respect. So um, those are pretty much all, all, all the players, I would say, um, that that I that I love. And then probably Dusan Vlahovic again. Sorry for Serbia. Uh, just a super talent of a striker caught with one of the worst possible teams as a fit. It's like, it's really kind of like seeing Andrew Luck with the Colts <laughs> like when they were doing him no favors. And it's like, I, you know, it's not his fault. Everyone knows how good he is. So yeah, those, those are all those players. Yeah. Right now I'm also obviously getting a prediction here. See who was talking about the wingers thing here. Look at the odds on DraftKings right now as of record date, which is November mm-hmm. 1st here. So Brazil's obviously mentioned the favorite plus 400 mm-hmm. Argentina plus five fifty. France defending champ plus 650, England plus 800, Spain plus 850, your top five sides here. Anybody else you're curious about the number for right now? I don't, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not heavy on anyone. I would, I'm keeping it in that, you know, 700 to not, uh, to, to even up to 1700 range. I know that sounds like audacious, but Portugal would plus 1700 just if they get it right. If they get it right, man, they could win it. And plus 1700, no one saw them winning what happened in 2016. It's not, it's not insane. I wouldn't do it. I want to put my money there. I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, but I've been saying Argentina that these are my guys. Uh, I'm rolling with them. I'm not switching up last second. So what happened, what happened to me these past couple betting tournaments, I said for years, France was going to win in 2018, right before the tournament happened. When I talked to you, I switched up to Brazil. I got burned for it. I'm an idiot. But then I stuck with my guns in 2020 with Italy. I said they were going to win for a while. Italy ended up winning it. So I'm sticking with my gut. I've said Argentina for a little while now and uh, a couple of years at least because of how they turned around that entire federation and how they, you know, like help Messi instead of hindering him. Um, Argentina plus 700. That's it. That's it for me. Um, but, but again, the, the two main favorites of Brazil and France, like I will not scoff at you. I will not attack you. If you bet those teams, those, the, the first three teams with the three best odds, a hundred percent, I think definitely one of those three win it. And if there's were to be a long, long odds, it would be Portugal for me. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, Argentina would be obviously the first, the South American team to win since Brazil in 2002 mm-hmm. when they won the mm-hmm. South Korea Japan World Cup. We've got Italy, Spain, Germany, France, the last four World Cups. So I'd say we're overdue for a South American side to win this. I mean, yeah. And, and you know what's crazy about the European thing, too? In 2014, when that happened, you know, there's been a lot of like hosts in South America, quite a few. No European ever, European team ever won that. So the fact that Germany went down in there and, and they won seven to one and one, and then they beat Argentina in the final, like that's the European dominance, like Euro, the Europe, 
like you know qualification round like just uefa in general has has lapped common bowl which is the south american region they lapped them they're t- from top to bottom they're just better and this is it's literally just argentina and brazil representing from there that have a chance um and and they are some of the most worthy uh uh, people but man brazil is just they're, they're insane they're insane i just i i hate england 750 by the way i hate that yeah. i hate that it's not good it's not good don't don't bet england please like <laughs> it, would, it would be it would be a stunning revelation if england won they're they're like they're they're so close to crashing and burning as a federation of football it's absurd like it's Every single time you watch them play, they get worse, and it's just it's just not possible. Yeah, I know they people are high on them because they went this made the semifinal of the last World Cup and end up losing mm-hmm. Croatia on on that one. So I think mm-hmm. that's part of the bet here. And last thing I want to ask you, sort of just throw this out here: Is there a sort of a, a dark horse you see like maybe making a run to the semis, getting clipped at the end by a better team? So there's dark horse you see making like a really deep run. Yeah, it would be just Serbia or Denmark. Yeah, for sure. I would probably lean Serbia though. All right. Denmark said Denmark's got an older core. All right. There you have it. Martino Fuccio. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. We want to follow us. We keep up with your coverage throughout the World Cup. How can they do that? Yeah, they could just uh, follow me, Martino Puccio, and everything. Um, and yeah, that's just Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. YouTube's been going pretty well. So uh, it's uh, it's a lot of fun uh, stuff. So uh, thanks for having me on again. Love talking uh, uh, sports in general. So yeah. Absolutely, Martino. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. No problem. Show me the money. All right. Show me the money. NFL picks for week number 11 are here on the podcast. Joining me today to break it all down. Uh, he's host of the Seeing Red podcast. You may know him better if you're watching the Carton Show as Troy the Researcher. Troy Moriel is here. Troy, how are you? Mike, it's it's a pleasure to be back. My my first, I feel like it's my first time this season, kind of coming back of, of this podcast. So uh, I'm I'm happy to be back on with you. And uh, hopefully you've been you've been doing well with your picks this football season. I've not been doing great, but at least you <laughs> I mean, you get to hang out with Craig Carton every day, so that's a win. <laughs> that, that is a win. Yeah, uh, it's a lot of fun. Craig is Craig is great and. Uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun doing that show every morning, and uh, like I said, Craig Craig is awesome to work with, and uh, he he definitely makes the early wake up worth it. I'll say that. Yeah, if you if those of you do not watch the uh, Carton Show on FS1 in the mornings, uh, Troy's a researcher of that show. You'll see him on screen every now and then as well. Yeah, yeah, Craig is is nice enough to let me uh, be on the screen. Now, when I am on TV, I'm usually getting made fun of, uh, but I you know I, I take it all in stride. I don't take myself uh, too seriously. I gotta. A cheesecake to the face the other day. It is what it is. It's it's all it's all in fun, and uh, I know Craig is always having fun with it. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm very very happy. You could definitely check out the Carton Show if uh, if you're looking for something new in in the morning. Uh, we're on at 7 a.m. every morning. Absolutely here, and let's get to your Cowboys. It's the reason why you're here today because the Cowboys played the played one of the most most throwing games of the week outside of the Viking Bill game in week in week eight ten. They blow the 14th point in the fourth quarter, lose to the Packers. You see Mike McCarthy slam the headset down. We had the big viral moment here. What did you take away from that game? Yeah, um, I think it just kind of exposed a lot of the flaws that uh, Cowboys fans and maybe the national media have been been seeing about the Cowboys. You know, they can't really stop the run on the defensive side of the ball. They're one of the worst uh, defenses in the league at at, uh, stopping the run. And that kind of hinders their defense when they can't pin their ears back and rush the passer when they can't be forcing, you know, third down and long, uh, getting teams behind the sticks, that kind of, you know, stops really what their biggest strength is, which is getting getting to the quarterback, forcing turnovers, getting sacks with Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, guys like that. Um, if they can't stop the run, I don't know how they're going to go very far this season, um, you know, in the, in the playoffs. When you look at some of these teams that they're going to be facing, Philadelphia runs the ball well. Uh, the Niners run the ball exceptionally well. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings have a really good offense who they'll be playing this week, so you know, they, they really didn't fully address that. Again, they got um, Hankins in, in the trade deadline, but they didn't really fully address that in the trade deadline. Um, so if, if they can't stop the run, I don't really know where they're going to go in, in terms of the postseason. On the offense, offensive side of the ball, um, you know, Dak Prescott, he, he's 
he's a very, very good quarterback, but he's still not on that elite level. And I think that the Cowboys are trying to, you know, almost force him to go to that Mahomes elite level. And he's just not that guy. You saw it in this game. Uh, basically had three, three chances to put this game away. Uh, could not do it. You know, had had the scoring chance at the end of or near the end of regulation, had the scoring chance in overtime, couldn't get it done. Uh, it doesn't all fall on Dak Prescott. Some of it's on the play calling as well. But uh, at some point, you know, they're just trying to make him into something that he's not, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes the rest of the season. But uh, I'm not too excited about their chances going forward, unfortunately. Yeah, well, it's interesting, too, because they're in the NFC, which is the by far easier conference here. And you look yeah. at the team. I saw Philly lose last night, and they've had a lot of, like, close games in there. The Vikings are the one-score game kings, and they are 8-1. and one, But I don't know if people <laughs> obviously believe in them. The Giants, we don't know, trust that much. 49ers and Seahawks, we'll see out west. I mean, I feel like the window is there for Dallas to go to the Super Bowl. I do think, though, they need Odell Beckham Jr. in the worst way if he's ready to go. They really need to get help for Dak on the outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head there. You know, the, the window is there. I don't uh, I said this a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if they've ever had as much of an opportunity to reach the Super Bowl as they do right now. You know, you, you mentioned it. The NFC is not that strong. Philadelphia showed on Monday night. They have some weaknesses. They can be beat. Um, you know, they're, they're, I think, the best team in the conference, but they're not an unbeatable team. They're not a team that that you say you have no shot at beating Minnesota, like you mentioned. Uh, have they been getting lucky in these games? Have they, are they really that good? I guess we'll find out, but they've won a bunch of one score games this season. The giants personally, I'm not too afraid of the giants. I know that they can win close games as well, but I'm not terrified of them. The Niners have showed some flaws. The Seahawks, are they really for real? Uh, even Tampa Bay, you know, I'm not too afraid of Tampa Bay. The window is there for the Cowboys. Um, you know, it's just a matter of, are they going to take it? And like you mentioned, you know, are they going to go out and get a guy like Odell Beckham who can put you over the top? You can see what he did. Uh, for the Rams last season, the Cowboys need another playmaker on offense. It's it's painfully obvious. You know, you look at this wide receivers corpse. CeeDee Lamb is, is having a really, really good season quietly. I know he just had his first 100-yard game, but you look at his stats, he's comparable to some of the better receivers in the NFL right now. But after him, you know, you've got Dalton Schultz, but you really don't have a number two wide receiver right now. Michael Gallup, I think, is still a little bit hindered by that injury, and then you have really no one uh, to, to back him up. So, they need a guy like Odell Beckham. They need a playmaker because one injury to that wide receiver corps, uh, you know, to CeeDee Lamb, to Dalton Schultz, you saw it with Ezekiel Elliott. This team is really, really going to struggle to put points on the board. Um, a trade for or a, signing a guy like Odell Beckham could really, really ha uh, give them a chance to to have that one final uh, uh, weapon on offense that they really need. Yeah, this week's game is fascinating to have with the Vikings coming up here. I mean, going into the season, you say, oh, good game. And you realize how good it is in terms of game of the week potential here because the Vikings obviously come up with a huge win over Buffalo here. They're tied with the Eagles on top of the NFC. Eagles are the tiebreakers mm -hmm. that win in week two here. Cowboys now six and three. And then you got this game, the quick turnaround to the Giants on Thanksgiving here. I think, what do you think of the keys to this game for the Cowboys here? Uh, it's going to be stopping the run again with, with a guy like Dalvin Cook. Um, you know, how much can they stop a guy like Justin Jefferson? Justin Jefferson has been phenomenal for, for Minnesota this season, uh, especially the last couple of weeks. We saw him last week against Buffalo. Uh, will the Cowboys be able to stop him and a guy like Trayvon Diggs. Um, will he be able to shut down Justin Jefferson? But, you know, like you mentioned, they play Minnesota. Then they go and they play the Giants uh, four days later on Thanksgiving. You know, this is uh, – if, if things go wrong here, they can go really wrong for this team. You know, we could be looking in, in basically a week from now, and the Cowboys could be six and five. If they, if they don't get their act together quickly, if they don't figure out how to stop the run, uh, like I said, both of their next two opponents coming up, the Vikings and the Giants, they can both run the ball. They both know how to win close games. You mentioned the stat about the Vikings. The Giants are phenomenal in close games as well. Um, you know, if the Cowboys don't get their act together, especially on the defensive side of the ball in terms of stopping the run, uh, they could be a six and five team. <laughs> and I mean, you know, right now the, the Niners have four losses. They're the, the uh, seventh seed in the NFC playoff picture. So the, the Cowboys could fall out of the playoff picture <laughs> in, in, a, in a week from now if they don't figure things out and, uh, and get things together. I think the fallout, the NFC is very bad. They'll be right in it, but they'll be, they're really much harder. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I do think I, I don't want to uh, sound too alarmist here. I do think that they are a playoff team. I think they'll get to 10 wins. I think they'll get to 10, uh, 11 wins this season. You know, they have some easy games coming up. They play the entire AFC South uh, after the, this run of two games. They'll get some wins there. They'll get to 10 wins. They'll get to 11 wins, like I mentioned. But yeah, if, if you're not the five seed, I think you really want to be that five seed and have a crack, probably at Tampa Bay, 
in that first round. I just think that's a better matchup for the Cowboys. I know the Bucs beat them in week one, but that's a Tampa Bay team that really can't run the ball. They ran the ball a little bit better this week, but they're one of the worst team offenses in the league at running the ball this season. I'd much rather play Tampa Bay, I think, in round one than have to go on the road and play someone like the Niners uh, with Christian McCaffrey or the Vikings again, uh, or even the Eagles if they fall out of the top spot in the NFC. So like you said, that, that road can be a lot easier depending on how they finish these last couple of, of games. I absolutely can. Here, let's get to the picks, which is also why you're here this week. Uh, the great John Stanko joined me last week on the picks, and he went one and two on the week. You can see on the screen the YouTube version. I got the graphic up here of what's going on. I got the mm-hmm. he's, he took the Steelers laying two and a half at home against the Saints. They won the game outright. He took the Bears laying two and a half against the against the Lions. They blew that game late. Yeah, the four ers laying seven, one by six, so one and two for uh, Stanko on the week. Tough, tough. Uh, I don't I don't like any of these records right now. 14 and 16 and 13 and 17. Yeah, it's, it's, been, uh, it's, it's, it's been a rough year for everyone, I feel yeah. like. I don't think anyone is having a good year gambling right now. No. I mean, let's, <laughs> yeah, so they were one. So again, Stanko one and two. Team Visitors is 14 and 16 on the year. I <laughs> went one and two also. I had the Giants laying the six and a half against the Texans. They ended up winning by eight, cover the number. I rode, uh-huh. I took, I, I rode with Stanko and the Bears. They let us both down, so that's a loss there. <laughs> I thought I was cruising with the Bills. They're up, laying the five and a half. They're up yeah. 27, 10 in the fourth quarter. They blow that, so I lose that game outright as well. One and two for me, 13 and 17 on the year. Also not great. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I, it's, just, it's been a rough year for, for everyone. The, something's going on with the NFL this season. Yeah, and to make it worse, I had a parlay with like four picks on Sunday. I had it, I, I thought I had a good chance to like really crush this. I, I had, uh, the giant one. I had the. I have all three of my picks plus the Steelers, and about like three forty-five uh, on uh, Sunday. I was like, oh, I'm going to win big money, and then it I, was looking good. Yeah, and then once Fields with a pick six, I I cash out went way too low. So I was like, I'm just going to ride it, and it did not nothing happened. Uh huh. Yeah. The the witching hour takes a lot of souls. It, it it should be called the losing hour. You know, that's that's basically when bets are lost. Yeah. Uh, worst hour of, of football every week, I would say. Absolutely here. And now let's get to the picks here as the guest. You can go first. So where are you going with pick number one? Okay. Well, you mentioned you guys both had the the bears last week. Uh, I'm going to take the bears plus three on the road against the Falcons. Um, I like what Justin Fields is doing right now. They seem to finally figure out how to run that offense for him. Uh, They're on the road against Atlanta, but Atlanta is not much of a, uh, of a home field advantage. Um, I think that the bears are the better team. The Falcons, with Marcus Mariota, I don't. I don't think he's uh, much of a quarterback. They're. they're, they're I think they're going to end up going to Desmond Ritter at some point uh, in the next couple of weeks once they really fall out of it. So I'm going to take the beer. The Bears getting three points on the road. Um, I don't know if they'll continue their their hot run of run, rushing the ball, but I do think that they will be able to cover this number and possibly win outright. I did not take this game. I get my full blessing on it because I feel like the Bears, they've been rushing it so offensively. Justin Fields breaking out. But the fact they're 0-3 over the last three games is very bad luck here. I feel like they're due to have one bounce their way. This Atlanta team is not very good. Mm-hmm, exactly. They're they're playing so well over the last month, and, and they really don't have anything to show for it. I think this is their chance to finally get that. All right, here we go with pick two. Pick two, I'm going to go with the Denver Broncos against the Raiders. Uh, the Raiders are just a team that's completely in flux right now, um, losing uh, to, to the Colts last week. I, I don't think that that coach is on the hot seat just yet, but he probably should be after that loss. Uh, Denver is another team. They just they seem like they're due. Can they really be this bad? Uh, they're favored by two and a half at home. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Raiders or the Broncos. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not incredibly confident about it, but uh, I'm gonna take the Broncos at home uh, over the the Raiders, who are just totally dysfunctional right now. Yeah, I think if you were to take a side this game, I think you are on the right side. This game, I want no part of because this one <laughs> scared the hell out of me. Yeah, it's it's a scary one. I, I took a little bit of a swing there, so we'll see how it works out. All right, where are you going with the last pick of the week? Pick three. Yeah, pick three. Another one that uh, I, I'm, I'm taking a swing, I'll admit, but I'm going to take the Chargers. Uh, they're getting six and a half right now. Uh, I think that's going to go up, though, as the week goes on. Uh, they're at home against the Chiefs in prime time. The Chiefs kind of own them uh, on the road. If you look at over the last like 10 years, I think the Chiefs have won like eight in a row on the road over the Chargers. I don't think the Chargers are going to win this game, but I just think they'll be able to keep it close. These two played that epic game uh, in, in Los Angeles last year on Thursday Night Football. This is a primetime game as well. Um, I just I think that the Chargers will be able to keep it close. I think that this is a type of game where you could see the Chiefs up by, you know, 15 or 14, two scores up by 13, and you get a little backdoor cover with the Chargers late. 
Uh, so I'm going to take the Chargers getting six, hopefully hopefully a little bit more uh, as, as the week goes on. Uh, I'm going to ro- roll with Justin Herbert and the Chargers. Yeah, for me, this is another one where I sort of stay away from because the Chargers are so, so, so banged up. Like, you see the path with them once they get past this game. The schedule gets much, much easier, but this mm-hmm. is one I want no part of. So, roll the power <laughs> two, taking it. Yeah, it's it's a tough week this week. There wasn't a lot of obvious ones for me. Yeah, there was not a lot of obvious ones here. I'm going to go up now on the board here. Pick number one. This is a one I do not understand why this team keeps staying disrespected. I'm going to roll with the Giants again, laying three at home mm-hmm. against the Detroit Lions. And I get Detroit's one, two in a row. But the Giants are seven and two. They find ways to win one score games. Detroit has won three games. Their defense is one of the worst in football. And they're only laying three. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it's something mm-hmm. is fishy about that, but the Giants have earned my trust this year. I'm going to roll with them again. Giants laying three at home, pick one. Yeah, I, I almost went with that one as well. And, and you know, you, you said it completely there. The, the Giants, they've kind of earned our respect now in, in terms of, of, of uh, you know, Vegas kind of disrespecting them. I think you can trust them, and I think that's a good pick. All right, pick number one. Pick number two. I think this is a interesting spot here for the Texans because they are at home. They're getting three and a half against the Commanders, who short week, big emotional win over the Eagles, knocked off their unbeaten season. Now they go on the road, play a crummy team. This game screams watching is going to come out struggling, and then they're going to end up needing to win at the gun with a field goal. And I have a hook, which is fantastic. Texans are spunky. They're not great, but they do play hard. They gave the Giants a lot of trouble last week before New York pulled away late. Give me the three and a half of the Texans at home against the Commanders. I think this is going to be a letdown spot for Washington. Yeah, I like that. Big, big time letdown spot for the Commanders. Uh, short week, like you mentioned. Texans, they're not bad. I mean, they're obviously the record is terrible, but they are a frisky team. They can play with you. Uh, the Commanders are not anything to write home about despite their win uh, last week. Big time letdown spot for them. I like that pick. All right, let's pick number two. Pick number three. Well, another underdog. We're taking the Steelers, getting five at home against the Bengals here. And I think this is one that, you know, Pittsburgh's defense looked much better last week with TJ Watt back. They dominated the Saints on the ground here. Cincinnati is coming in here off the bye. They're probably feeling good with themselves. But this team they already lost to in week one. When the Steelers had TJ Watt, they forced Joe Burrow to throw four picks. I think five is way too many in this game. I know that the Bengals probably going to win this game, but this is a game in Pittsburgh. I need to see Cincinnati do this in a spot where they should win. Their schedule coming up is very hard. I don't mm-hmm. trust them to get the late, cover that number. So I'm going to take the five with the Steelers at home that last pick of the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Steelers are getting healthy now on the defensive side of the ball. Like you mentioned, they, they won this game in week one. Uh, they caused fits for Joe Burrow, who's actually played very, very well after that point. But uh, yeah, that is a lot of points, especially in a rivalry game like this. Again, another scenario where you could get a late score cut type of thing uh, to get the cover for the Steelers. So I like that pick. Plus, Jamar Chase may not be back for this game. He's on crutches at the start of the week. So if, he, if he's back, mm-hmm. he might not be fully healthy. And that would really hurt yeah. the Bengals' chance of covering his number if he's not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that pick a lot. All right, so to reset the picks for week 11 here, I'm going to go ahead and get that one up here on the board. But I see I had the graphic made up here, so let me go ahead, pop it up. Give me a second here, YouTube version. This is being a little little fluky, but <laughs> get this set up here. And as of right now, again, stalling just briefly with time, but here we go. <laughs> Troy is taking the Denver Broncos laying two and a half in Vegas against the Raiders. He's taking the Bears getting three in Atlanta against the Falcons and the Chargers getting six and a half against the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football. My picks, I'm going with the New York Football Giants. The number is wrong there, but it's a laying three against the Detroit Lions. The Houston Texans laying th- getting three and a half at home against the Commanders and the Steelers getting five at home against the Bengals. So those are your picks for week number 11 here on the podcast. Coming up next week on Thanksgiving week, short week here on the podcast. We'll be getting this one out here early, but... Everybody, Phil Frey is hopping on here. The big giant here. Talk about that big Thanksgiving showdown next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, as a Cowboys fan, I'm not looking forward to that Cowboys Giants game. The Cowboys have a knack to ruin Thanksgiving for me, uh, basically every year since I was about 10 years old. So, not looking forward to a massive division game against the Giants, uh, possibly for playoff seeding uh, and you know division seeding as well. I, I am dreading that game completely coming up on on Thanksgiving. <laughs> It's funny. Remember when the schedule came out, I did a little schedule breakdown with uh, my buddy Nick Frey on the podcast here. He said, oh, you know, Giants-Cowboys is going on here because the NFL thinks the Giants are going to be terrible and this is the year to burn this game. (laughs) And of course, now it's probably the best game of the day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By far, it's the best game of the day. I mean, the what's it? Bills-Lions isn't great. Uh, Patriots-Vikings is okay. But yeah, I mean, that's the premier game of the day uh, as the Cowboys often are. And uh, they often come up short uh, on Thanksgiving. So like I said, I'm not looking forward to that. 
going into the season, yeah, I thought it would be an easy win for the Cowboys. Now it's looking like uh, they, they could have some trouble on Thanksgiving once again uh, for what feels like the 15th year in a row. Although to be fair, go back to week three. The Cowboys dominated them with Cooper Rush at quarterback. So if yeah. with Dak Prescott healthy here, you know, I think I think their chance is pretty good if they can, you know, avoid mm-hmm. anything crazy happening on Sunday against the Vikings. Yeah, and the Cowboys are the only team this season to to beat the Giants in what's kind of been a close game. Uh, I know that game wasn't incredibly close, but uh, they won it by eight. Uh, they're the only team this season to beat the Giants in a one-score game. So, you know, they can close it out. Like you mentioned, Cooper Rush started that game. Uh, I am more confident that Dak Prescott's playing, but you never know with the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. Rivalry game against the Giants. Um, you know, who, who really knows, to be honest. Absolutely. Here, Before I let you go, obviously, you're a big hot basketball guy here. And I, we talked about this last year in the podcast, you know, like, Thanksgiving week, there's a lot of fun stuff coming up with college basketball in terms of like tournament and stuff like that. Anything you have your eyes set on you want to watch in the weeks coming up? You know, nothing in, in particular. I'll, I'll be at the, uh, I don't even know what it's called. I'll be at Barclays Center for uh, the, the St. John's tournament there. They play uh, Temple on Monday night and then could potentially play their old Biggie's foe Syracuse. Uh, on Tuesday night if they can win next week. But, yeah, I'm just looking forward to all of it, man. It's it's fantastic having college basketball back. I know not everyone's into it at the start of the season, but it feels like Feast Week is when we kind of, like, first get our first, uh, you know, look at some of these teams. We do have the Champions Classic coming up uh, tonight, uh, you know, two, uh, a couple of big games. But, yeah, I'm, I'm just looking forward to all of it because this is when you start to really, like, get that feel of college basketball. Then you get some uh, – some, uh, uh, big games in December before we roll into conference play. So just, just looking forward to, to sitting back and enjoying all of it. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking forward I think the, the Phil, I want to say the Phil Knight tournaments out in, uh, or out in Oregon here. Yeah. Those so, both are loaded. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm looking, I'm trying to pull up right now. The uh, teams here on the, on the legacy, mm-hmm. on the legacy side, you got Duke in here, Florida's in here, Gonzaga's in there, Purdue, West Virginia. That's a loaded one on that on that side. I believe there's also another uh-huh. tournament like Michigan State's in there, the Kansas in that one too. So there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, uh, Gonzaga and Michigan State playing that game on the aircraft carrier. I I love those games. Uh, always big, been a big fan of those. That was that was a fun spectacle to see on uh, on Friday night. Yeah, invitational side. I have that one pulled up right now too. It's Alabama, Iowa State, Michigan State, North Carolina, Oregon, Portland, UConn, and Villanova. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Villanova has not looked great so far to start the season. They lose to Temple, and then they they barely beat uh, Delaware State the other night. Uh, it's going to take some time for them. Oregon's another team that uh, suffered an upset loss over the weekend, so it's going to take some time for for those teams as well. But again, like it's just fun to see how these teams react to playing legitimate you know, NCAA tournament competition, uh, in, in November, obviously, you know, it doesn't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things, but it's kind of like a little glimpse into who's for real and, or who may be for real and who is uh, maybe a pretender down the road. Yeah. One more game I'll throw out here for the audience looking for early stuff here. And if you're not into that chiefs charters game on Sunday night here, Sunday night in Spokane, seven 30 Kentucky at Gonzaga, that's going to be huge. Oh, wow. I did not know that was Sunday night. Okay. Well, that's, yeah, that's a big game. I will definitely have that one uh, up. I may be flipping back and forth. I'll be watching Chiefs Chargers, of course, because I got to be uh, sweating out my uh, my Chargers pick. But yeah, I'll be de- I'll definitely be uh, either have the two TVs up or I'll be flipping back and forth uh, to that one. Absolutely. Here, Troy, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. If you want to follow you on social media, how can they do that? Give us some of the stuff you're doing. Definitely. Yeah, you can check me out uh, on Twitter at Troy Moriello. M-A-U-R-I-E-L-L-O is that last name. Uh, yeah, like you said, if you're a St. John's basketball fan listening to this, I still do put out some content. I'm planning to put out some content about uh, the Red Storm men's basketball team later in the season. So definitely check me out uh, on Twitter for all of that. Yeah, I feel like the Twitter is probably the more obvious place because Troy likes to go live as opposed to like just doing a podcast. So, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I've been doing those over the past couple of years, these, you know, live streams after games. Uh, so once Big East play gets going, uh, might might get a couple of live streams going. So definitely, definitely follow me on Twitter if you're interested in St. John's basketball. All right, Troy, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. The two-minute drill. All right, two-minute drill time here. I want to add some more soccer note here to the podcast. You'll stick with the soccer team in the two-minute drill. I'll give you some thoughts on Captains. It's an eight-part docuseries from FIFA and Netflix. It shows the captains of six teams who tried to qualify for the World Cup. Obviously, this is filmed earlier this year. They added it together, got it out late last month. We also have some big names in the group of captains. He's spot here, spotlight here. Obviously, the two biggest, Thiago Silva from Brazil, 
Luka Modric of Croatia, who, spoiler alert, made the World Cup. But we also spent some time with teams from Lebanon, Gabon, Vanuatu, and Jamaica. This series does a good job sort of showcasing the lives of these players, a lot of their backstories, how they got into the game of soccer, how the game of soccer is viewed in their countries. I think that's a very interesting insight, especially for a country like the U.S. where soccer is not the most popular sport. Seeing how big it is in a country like Lebanon, see how big it is in Gabon. I think that is very interesting to see. We got some hard knock style footage behind the scenes, some of these matches, the qualifiers. That's a lot of fun. I think that's cool. I think what does make this series unique is they spend some time with teams. They're not just all soccer powerhouses. Obviously, the headliners here is obviously the Brazil and Croatia sides because they are the headliners. They have the two biggest names in the dock, and they are going to be sort of the headliners, and people are drawn in by them. But seeing some of these other teams, seeing how Vanuatu had to go qualify in Qatar to try and make the World Cup and navigate a COVID outbreak, that's compelling. Seeing how Lebanon trying to deal with soccer, bringing unity to their war-torn country, it's very interesting because you uh, stretch also a long time where Lebanon had to play a lot of games on the road because it was not safe to host games in the country. That was interesting. Seeing how Gabon's captain, who was born in France, could have played on the French team in 2018 that won the World Cup. He opted to try and play for Gabon, which is where his family is from. Try to help them qualify the first ever final instead. That's also very interesting. The answer's not that long either. Honestly, about no more than 40 minutes. You can do a quick binge ahead of the tournament on Sunday. I highly recommend it. I think it's a lot of fun. I would recommend checking out Captains if you want to get into that soccer mood. And with that, I want to end the show for the week. I want to thank my guest, Martino Puccio, for spending about half hour talking about the World Cup. A lot of fun there. I also want to thank Troy Morell for doing our Week 11 NFL picks. You want to look at stuff like this podcast, including my look at when the NFL could give some primetime love to the Jets and Giants. Remember, these teams are both in players, and they've not gotten much national exposure. Check out the blog over at suffering.wordpress.com. Check out the Sky Guys podcast for the Andor coverage. It's a lot of fun here. Episode 11, we only have two left of Andor in the season. You want to get that podcast as soon as it's released. Get on the Sky Guys podcast. will not be in this one until the weekend, so again... Sky Guys Podcast, you want the Andor coverage. You guys will follow me on Twitter, MPhillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Coming up next, we're going to talk about a little bit about the Giants here. Big Thanksgiving game against the Cowboys. And some NFL picks and more. Tell you have a better week than Raiders fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.